Welcome to the Time of Your Life, brought to you by the Seniors Association Kingston Region. This is your program talking about everything under the sun for seniors, from health and lifestyle to entertainment, travel, and much, much more. You're listening to the Time of Your Life on CFRC 101.9 FM. Good morning. My name is Tara Morton, and this is the Time of Your Life brought to you by the Kingston Seniors Association on CFRC 101.9 FM. Our topic today is the Original Hockey Hall of Fame, and our guest is the president of the Original Hockey Hall of Fame, Mark Potter. Good morning, Mark. Thanks Good morning, for Tara. Us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. Uh, Mark, last year I had the opportunity to visit the Original Hockey Hall of Fame with the boys hockey team, and I'm so glad I did. The first question that popped to my mind before I entered the museum, probably what several people say, and I can tell you know what is coming, is Instead of Hockey Hall of Fame, why is it called the Original Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, that's a good question. It's a good story, too, because the, the Original Hockey Hall of Fame was, was in Kingston. Uh, the National Hockey League uh, put the Hall of Fame in Kingston in 1943. And just to back up on that a little bit, uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which is iconic, is in Cooperstown, New York. It began in 1939, and there was a hockey pioneer from Kingston whose name was Captain James Sutherland, and he literally had spent decades... Uh, promoting the fact that, first of all, hockey needed a Hall of Fame to recognize the greats, the players, the builders who had built the game. But most importantly to him, he felt it should be in Kingston because he strongly believed that Kingston is the birthplace of hockey, which is debatable. But the reality is he sold the National Hockey League on that. He convinced the National Hockey League that there should be a Hall of Fame and it should be in Kingston. And at the time, he was actually a past president of both the Ontario Hockey Association and the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. And even to this day, people still refer to him as the father of hockey. But he was a great promoter. Uh, His dad actually ran a shoe store on Princess Street, so he worked in the shoe business. Uh, But he would travel up and down the East Coast and to the West Coast of Canada. And he was very good with the media. And he would really sell the story about, we need a Hall of Fame. It needs to be in Kingston. And in 1943... That happens. So when people think about the Hockey Hall of Fame, most people, of course, think about the Hall of Fame in Toronto. That's right. Where currently, yeah. you know, the National Hockey League inducts uh, the greats of the game and international stars and women now, which is wonderful, including Jaina Hefford, who went in last fall from Kingston. So so we originally we were called the International Hockey Hall of Fame, and that was the name that the National Hockey League gave us back in 1943. And that only really meant that we could induct members from the United States. So it really was just a North American Hall of Fame, essentially. And back in 2012, uh, they knocked down our old building, which was on the Memorial Center grounds uh, at York and Alfred Street. And it was really my idea at that time, because I didn't think the international word really explained who we were, what we did. And I said, look, you know, let's go back and just call ourselves the original Hockey Hall of Fame. So when people hear the name, they can hopefully understand that we are the first Hockey Hall of Fame in the world, and we were founded by the National Hockey League. It, it does exactly that. It, it evokes that question immediately. Absolutely, so it's yes. It's a good name for it. Uh, the original Hockey Hall of Fame is located at the Invista Center. Can you tell us how it landed there? Well, it's interesting. Uh, it's a very long story, but the, the original building we had was built uh, in 1965, again on the Memorial Center property right beside the Kingston Memorial Center. And uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame raised all the money to, to build that building. And for some reason, for reasons unexplained, uh, when the building was first opened, uh, 
they turned the building over to the city of Kingston, which I never understood why that decision was made. It makes no sense to me. Never has. So in 1965, when the building opened, the Hockey Hall of Fame was located on the second floor of the building. It was about 7,500 square feet, the total building. And actually on the first floor was actually a banquet hall. So back in the day, they would have wedding receptions and they would rent it out for private rentals. There was actually an orchestra pit there and a stage area. Uh, And then in 1978, we took over the entire building. But it was still owned and operated by the city of Kingston. The reality is, is over the years, the the building fell into disrepair because the city of Kingston did not put any money into it. It had a flat roof, which wasn't good. Uh, The roof over time began to leak. Uh, We had an old uh, water-fired boiler heating system, which was very inefficient. So finally in 2012, they came to me kind of out of the blue and the city said, you know, we've got to make a decision here. We don't want to spend any money on this building, uh, so we're going to tear the building down. And I wasn't very happy about that. And I said, well, where does that leave us? I said, you know, it's going to be up to you to relocate us to a a reasonable location. And then they suggested the Invista Center, you know, which is obviously the hockey hub in Kingston. There's four different arenas there that are busy all the time. And we thought that was a great idea. Now, the issue we had, the big issue was just the space limitations, because we're, we're kind of tucked away on the second floor. We probably, quite frankly, have the worst location in the building. Some people who visit the building say they can't still find us. And we've only got 1,500 square feet of space. And we had 7,500 in the old building. So we really had to shrink our collection. And at that time, really, my decision was we would refocus more on the Kingston story, like focus more on the evolution of hockey, the early days of hockey in Kingston, because that really is our strongest story. And we have some other things there as well. You know, we've got Canada's first Olympic gold medal and Wayne Gretzky's rookie sweater and all those things. But the, the Kingston thing is the big thing. And so we have some space limitations, but that's how we wound up in the Invista Center. And, um, you know, it's busy 12 months of the year and you've got four rinks there that are busy all the time. And we see pretty good traffic through there. So certainly much more traffic than we ever had in the old location at York and Alfred Street because that's more of a residential neighborhood area. There was no built-in audience. And the tourism track in Kingston really is downtown. If you're not downtown, you're not going to get the tourists. So right now we're basically attracting hockey families, especially out-of-town families because there's a lot of rep hockey that goes on at Invista. And many families come from east of Toronto or Ottawa area to to play in Kingston to get a chance to see our museum and hear the Kingston hockey story. Uh, My favorite part of the museum tour was sitting in the middle of the hall in the wooden bleachers, surrounded by boards watching a very well put together, it was like a period documentary detailing the history of hockey and its Kingston's roots. Uh, Was that Don Cherry's voice narrating? That's right, yeah. Don was the narrator of that for sure. Yeah, the documentary in that setting put everything else into into context. I really felt like I was back in time. I, yes. I, I just liked that. It just it was a great starting point, and then I could just slowly wander around the museum and take take it all in even more. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Tara. And, and when we redid the museum at the Invista Center, uh, it sort of had been a dream of mine for a long time that we needed to do some type of documentary to really tell the Kingston story. And then we had the artifacts there that people could look at. So that's what I always encourage people when they visit the museum, go watch the movie first. You know, it runs about 12 minutes long. And you're right, there's some great archival footage and archival photographs in there that are really, really cool. And uh, so we actually hired a professional filmmaker. And, you know, the movie, quite frankly, cost us quite a bit of money. 
But from the first day I saw it, it just blew me away. I just yeah. thought, this is so perfect. And then, of course, when we were going to do the movie, we had to think about what we were going to call it and who was going to do the narration. And a couple of people said to me, because I'm a former broadcaster, that I should do the narration. I said, well, I have a better idea. We'll get Don Cherry to do it. So, so I called Don, and I've known Don for a long time, and we've developed a friendship over the years. And he's been such a huge supporter of the museum. And uh, so he was at his cottage on Wolf Island. It was in the summertime. And uh, I made arrangements for him to come and, and do the narration for us. And so I picked him up at the Wolf Island Ferry Dock and he had his sweatpants on and his ratty old t-shirt and his little cheater glasses and his ball cap. And I picked him up at the ferry when we went to one of the local radio stations, uh, K-Rock, and uh, he recorded the script there. And uh, it was a great day. And uh, it was very gracious of him to do it, and uh, I think it adds so much to it. And he put his own little twist to it, like he always did, too, right? So uh, we gave him a well-documented script, but, you know, he goes off script and uh, adds his own little anecdotes. And, for example, as a kid, his father was friends with Captain Sutherland, who's the founder of the museum and the father of hockey. So Don knew Captain Sutherland from the time he was a kid, and he throws a few little stories in there like that. But But you're right, to me the movie just ties the whole thing together. And we decided to call the movie The Cradle of Hockey. And that's a phrase that I believe Don Cherry himself coined that phrase because it gets back to the debate about the birthplace of hockey. And nobody can definitively prove uh, where the first game was played because the game obviously evolved over time. But Don would always say, Kingston's a cradle of hockey, meaning that it grew up in Kingston, right? Like it nurtured the game and the game grew up here, which I always thought was a great tagline. And uh, that's what we call the movie. Uh, I was also very pleased to see the female content present in the hall. Well, for sure. There's a lot of contributions. Uh, the Red Barons, which was one of the first women's hockey teams in Canada, uh, was based out of Kingston. In fact, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, and it's our 75th for the Hockey Hall of Fame. So there really were some pioneers in Kingston because really what happened is, and, and we've actually got some photographs there, because at Queen's University, women were playing hockey in the 1800s. Like in the 1890s, uh, women were playing hockey. And in fact, again, we have we have a goalie mask uh, that's in the museum. That's not the exact original, but it's a replica because the first goaltender to wear a mask in hockey, most people think it was Jacques Plante, who That's wore it in 1959. Yeah. There was a Montreal Canadiens player, uh, Clint Benedict, who wore like a leather mask for a handful of games in the 1930s. But in the 1920s, there was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Graham who played for the Queen's women's hockey team, and she wore a mask. And uh, So she was actually the very first one. But the point also being that there was hockey as early as the 1890s. And then what seemed to happen was during the First World War and after the Second World War, for, I guess, a whole lot of reasons, but women just stopped playing hockey. Like, there was no hockey, like, for decades, basically. And the Red Barons came along in the 1960s, and I'm not going to say they were the very first women's team to kind of resurrect in Canada, but they were certainly one of them. And then, of course, you passed the torch to Jana Hefford, and as I touched on earlier, you know, Jana, who's just such a tremendous person and, and role model, and I have so much respect for Jane and what she's done. I mean, she's won four Olympic gold medals. Uh, there's only, I think, five or six people on the planet in any sport that have won uh, four Olympic gold medals in the Winter Olympics. Like, it's, it's very, very rare to have done that. And she's been very gracious with us. Um, her mother actually was on our board of directors for many, many years, up until a couple of years ago, Sandra Hefford. Uh, so we have a nice little tribute there to Jana. Uh, also, actually, within the Invista Center, uh, when she won the gold medal... Uh, in Vancouver in 2010, 
Um, I, I commissioned to have a mural designed of Jaina, which is on the one wall there near the one entrance uh, at the Invista Center. Um, we probably should get more recognition for that, the Hockey Hall of Fame. But I actually got a local artist, uh, Shane Goodrow, who did that for us and did the design. And uh, we always kind of chuckle because there's only three gold medals there because she hadn't won the fourth one yet. But her parents are included. Her dad passed away a few years ago. Her parents were in the mural as well. And it shows her as a young girl, you know, playing for Team Canada. And, uh, yeah, hers is a story that really should be celebrated. The Time of Your Life continues with Tara Morton and Mark Potter, the president of the original Hockey Hall of Fame. Which artifacts command the most attention that are Well, that's a good question. I guess on our website we do have what we call our top ten artifacts. But I would say without question, uh, the first one is the square hockey puck. Uh, so we have the original puck from 1886. And the square hockey puck is, is unique to Kingston. Like, it was not used anywhere else. And basically in the very first game, which was played on the Kingston Harbor in 1886, Queens and RMC, they cut down on the cross ball. They basically, you know, kind of cut a lacrosse ball in half, curved it up, and it, it became the square puck, and that's what they used in that game. And it actually, you always say it looks like a lump of coal because it's not really truly square. It's it's yeah. it, it's multi-sided. But I think for sure that's probably, uh, you know, the number one artifact that we have in the museum that people are amazed at. Uh, we have one of the oldest hockey sticks in the world, which is from 1888, and they look more like a field hockey stick, and that's that's a pretty prized Excuse me, that's a pretty priced uh, artifact as well. But some of the other things, like I mentioned earlier briefly, uh, we have Canada's first Olympic gold medal, uh, which was won in 1912. Uh, sorry, 1924, I should say. It was won by a goaltender by the name of Jack Cameron, uh, and that was the first Winter Olympics, and Canada won gold in hockey. Um, there's 12 players on that team. They each got a gold medal, and we have one of them, which is, is priceless. And we have Gretzky's rookie sweater. So Gretzky's rookie sweater actually came... The first year he played professionally, he played in the um, World Hockey Association, uh, which was the year before they joined the National Hockey League. Uh, so we have a sweater from that year that he wore in his rookie year in the WHA before he joined the NHL. Um, you know, just from a valuation point of view, that's probably our most uh, expensive artifact that we have because that would be worth a lot of money on the open market. And the other one is Don Cherry's collection. You know, Don, we are the only place in Canada... Uh, where Don has any of his artifacts. He has them no place else. And and Don is so proud of the fact that, that we have an entire showcase there that's you know dedicated to him. Actually, in our old building, we had two showcases dedicated oh, to him, but because of space limitations, we had to, we had to shrink it down to one. But uh, And that attracts a lot of attention because a lot of people don't understand that. You know, he played junior B hockey in Kingston when he was 15 years old. He went to the Barry Flyers, which the OHL, or at the time was called the OHA. He won a Memorial Cup there, uh, you know, played 18 years of pro, uh, only one game in the NHL. And then he coached in Rochester for years. You know, he won four or five Calder Cups, which is the American Hockey League Championship, as both a player and a coach. And in fact, at the end of January this year, he's actually being inducted into the American Hockey League Hall of Fame uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts. And uh, I know he's very proud of that. So again, that attracts a lot of attention within our museum. And, and of course, the film, people love the film. But I think everything in there is unique and interesting in its own way. And, you know, the thing that I hear all the time from people, which I think is a nice compliment, people say, you know, we go to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. It's more about, you know, shooting at the net there's games there's glitz there's high tech and we have a little bit of that but not a lot uh, but i think our museum really talks about the roots of the game 
remembering the early pioneers of the game, where that's kind of forgotten in a lot of ways at the Hall of Fame in Toronto, right? So we're a much different entity, and uh, our story is much different. But I actually hear this from people all the time, which, again, I, I like to hear. But they'll say, you know, even though your museum is small, we really find it, like, far more interesting than the Hall of Fame in Toronto, right? Uh, why do you think it's important for people or maybe uh, particularly kids to, to visit them? Well, again, that's a great question. I think, I think the problem is, Tara, and I, I say this all the time, is that, you know, we both have children who are, you know, 11, 12 years old in that age group, and most of those kids barely know who Wayne Gretzky was, right? And I, I, th- I think kids don't really have any appreciation or respect for the history of the game and probably not, not that much interest in it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we do, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but, you know, we also have the Howie Morenz collection, right? And, and Howie Morenz was one of the true legends of the game and one of the game's early superstars in the 1920s and 30s. But we have all of his equipment. You know, we've got, we've got his, his pants, his shin guards, his, his gloves. We've got the skates. And I think kids look at that and they just can't believe that people used to play with that. And the same with the goalie equipment, right? And uh, that's probably the most remarkable thing. But uh, that's, to me, what, what really is, is what it's all about, right? I mean, I get the, the greatest thrill that I get is sort of trying to educate young people on, on the history of the game and where the game came from, right? And the early roots clearly are on the Kingston Harbor, right? And uh, you look back before that, they say the very first hockey games were played in the 1840s in Kingston, which were British soldiers. And the first organized game wasn't until 1886. That was like 45 years later. And in fact, another item that we have is um, what we call the Freeling Diary. So uh, the Freeling Diary is actually in the National Archives in Ottawa. But there's a British soldier in Kingston by the name of Arthur Freeling, and he wrote in his diary that we had fun this winter playing hockey on the ice. And that's the first time the word hockey was ever used or written. And most people really don't know where that word came from. Nobody knows. There's a game in Europe. There was a lot of stick and ball games in Europe, right? And one of the games, which is still played there, I think in Ireland predominantly, is a game called Hurley. And uh, so Hurley's a little bit like field hockey. And that's kind of where the game evolved from. But uh, but yeah, so we always talk about, when we talk about the birthplace of hockey, we say, well, no, the first time the word hockey was even used was in this British soldier's diary, right? So, But I think it's really important that kids understand that. And the, even the story that... You know, Queen's University, and here we are on CFRC Radio. Well, Queen's University played three times for the Stanley Cup, right? And most people don't know that. Like, I mean, some of the earliest hockey played was played by Queen's, and they're actually credited with taking the sport to the northeastern United States, right? Like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, other locations. And they really, you know, they sort of uh, grew the game in the northeastern U.S., but it was Queen's teams that did that, and... Again, it's pretty cool to say that they actually challenged on three occasions for the Stanley Cup. I did not know that. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yes. uh, I understand the original Hockey Hall of Fame celebrated the its 75th anniversary. Um, I'd love to hear a few highlights about that. Well, it was a great day. We did. We just as a one-day celebration. It took us uh, quite a few months to try to arrange the Stanley Cup, and that's kind of a process in itself. Even though we are the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's not easy to get the Stanley Cup. So that was several months in planning to do that, and you have to deal with 
the NHL office in New York, which I had a lot of conversations back and forth with. And, and when it comes right down to it, they just basically give you a date. They just say, okay, here's your date. And actually, they only told us probably about a month ahead of time. I would have liked a little bit more lead time, but it was the middle of November. And then we arranged to get the Memorial Cup, too, which is for the Canadian Junior Hockey Championship, which is a trophy that actually began in Kingston through Captain Sutherland again, which honored World War I veterans who had died. So what we did that day is we actually honored uh, two Kingston soldiers who are both elected members of the Hockey Hall of Fame in Kingston and in Toronto. Uh, so one was Scotty Davidson and the other is George Richardson, and they were both killed uh, in the line of duty in World War I. So we actually are dedicating our 75th year to them, and we honored them for our 75th anniversary luncheon, which we wanted to do at CFB Kingston because of their military roots, and that was done at Fort Frontenac. Um, and actually, we're going to be dedicating two historical plaques in Kingston, like sometime this year, uh, to honor their lives, because I, I just think it's so important. Scotty Davidson, getting a little off track there, but Scotty Davidson, he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal for Toronto's first Stanley Cup, which was in 1914. He grew up in Portsmouth Village, as did I, so I've always got a kinship to Scotty Davidson. But, but So he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal. He was like 22, 23 years old. He enlisted that summer and then got killed the next year overseas, right? So And George Richardson, very similar story. He was a tremendous player, played at Queens. The football stadium at Queens is named after right. him. So we honor those two guys. And then also, there's actually five players from Kingston who scored Stanley Cup winning goals. And there's no other city anywhere that has five players that have scored Stanley Cup winning goals. And we were trying to get uh, three of them to come to our luncheon. But Kirk Muller, who's with the Montreal Canadiens, they were playing in Western Canada. So we had Doug Gilmore, who scored a Stanley Cup winning goal in Calgary. And we had Ken Linsman. And Ken Linsman scored the first Cup winning goal for the Edmonton Oilers with Gretzky and all that group when they won their first cup in 1984. And then we had Rick Smith, who, who didn't score a Stanley Cup winning goal, but he scored a goal in the final game. The same game that Bobby Orr flew through the air, oh, that famous that photograph in 1970. Yeah. So Rick played on that team. So we had those three gentlemen at our luncheon, and it was a great day. And then we had an open house at the Invista Center. So we had the Stanley Cup and the Memorial Cup out there. We had about 600 people that came through in about two hours. And then that night, uh, we honored Ken Linsman at the Frontenacs game. Because Ken actually, his banner hangs in the Leon Center, and he was honored by Kingston. Because, uh, again, uh, when the franchise first started in Kingston in 1973, he came a year later. Uh, but one of the most dynamic players that ever played in Kingston, and he had never been properly honored by the team. Uh, Don Cherry, unfortunately, couldn't come to our luncheon, but he did a video tribute for Linsman that they played that night at the rink. And, uh, yeah, I think all said and done, you know, it, it couldn't have been any better. And there's just, even for me, there's just something magical about the Stanley Cup, right? Like, it's just, it's the holy grail. And it's just amazing the way people react when they see the cup. And and probably for me that day, because I spent whatever it was, eight, nine hours with the cup. And it was just, it's just remarkable to watch people when they see the cup, just their reaction and how much it means to people, right? So it was a pretty special day for sure. Any information about Kingston and hockey that you don't know is not <laughs> worth knowing? Perhaps. That's very kind. Thank you. Being president of the Original Hockey Hall of Fame isn't the only hockey item on your resume. You uh, co-wrote Hockey's Hub, Three Centuries of Hockey in Kingston with Bill Fitzel. So um, I'm going to ask you, do you think Kingston is the hub or the cradle? 
Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I guess that's probably both. I mean, we, we kind of decided the name The Hub just, to, again, partly because of the reason that we, we think that hockey began here. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's kind of like that spoked wheel in the outreach. I mean, at one point in the 1960s, uh, the Boston Bruins uh, farm team uh, was in, was here in the Eastern Professional Hockey League, and they always use that spoke wheel and the Boston emblem on their sweater, right? So, and the hub, and again, like I talked earlier about, you know, Queens and Kingston kind of brought the game to the northeastern United States, and then our connection to Ottawa, Montreal, and again, Ottawa and Montreal had some of the very earliest hockey games too, more so than Toronto, and our proximity to Toronto. So, uh, and we just always felt that we were kind of the the hub of hockey, and we just thought that was more an appropriate name for the book. But uh, we didn't actually think about the cradle of hockey too. But I, I was happy with the hockey's hub and. Uh, you know, we printed 2,000 copies of that book, uh, which sold out in a fairly short period of time. We still have, we probably literally only have like six or seven books even left in our collection, right? So, and I was told at the time that it was the best-selling book that was ever produced or written in Kingston of any book that was ever done in Kingston. That no other book in Kingston ever sold 2,000 copies. So, and that was in 2003. So that was to celebrate our 60th anniversary, but. It was a labor of love. It was uh, it was a lot of work. I still have this dream, and I might do it in the next couple or few years, hopefully. <laughs> I actually want to write another book, uh, sort of ranking the top hockey players from Kingston of all time, like doing like a top 50 or a top 100. And and I'm, I'd like to get a little group of people together, some of the old-timers of Kingston, if you will, hockey, that have seen a lot of these people play over the decades and uh, try to come up with a list and try to determine, you know, is Doug Gilmore the greatest of all time? Is Scotty Davidson the greatest of all time? Is Bill Cook the greatest of all time? And I think it'd be an interesting uh, venture because the book goes decade by decade. And we just really tried to highlight all the things that happened in that decade that were of significance. I would really like to thank you personally, Mark, for being the steward you are of the original uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. Hockey fans, Kingston residents, and fellow Canadians are fortunate to have uh, this history in such safe hands. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate this. Thank you, Tara. The original Hockey Hall of Fame is at the Invista Center on Gardner's Road. It's open daily from noon till 6. Admission is by donation. The website is www.originalhockeyhalloffame.com. You have been listening to The Time of Your Life, presented by the Seniors Association Kingston Region on CFRC 101.9 FM. For 40 years now, the association has been keeping seniors busy with scores of programs and activities at the Senior Center on Francis Street. If you have any comments, suggestions, or story ideas, or if you'd like to volunteer, contact the Senior Center at 613-548-7810. The Time of Your Life is produced for CFRC 101.9 FM by volunteers on behalf of the Seniors Association Kingston Region.